0: Ladies and gentlemen, my name is Charles Loon. We're here to talk to you today about the future of law. With me today is my fabulous co-host, partner, business consultant, extraordinaire, Jenna Benamy.
1: Wow, what an introduction. Thank you, Charlie. So are we going to tell the listeners a little bit about the inspiration of the show?
0: Yeah, so the future of law uh, conceptually was just to encompass and allow us to talk about the different aspects of the world as they move forward and what's encompassed within everything from autonomous driving to changing cannabis laws to changing maritime laws to quantum computing to artificial intelligence anything that we feel is really really important and is going to truly impact and have a large effect on people's lives as they go forward
1: okay awesome um, should we talk about the sounds at the beginning of the show?
0: Sure, sure. So the, what do we got? Railroad sounds. Yeah, the the
1: railroad. We got the, um, the bells. horses and sort of just the evolution of business as we know it, right. Right? right? Inspired by the men who built America when we watched that episode and.
0: Sure. So yeah, inspired by again, the men who built America and basically a turn of the century, um narrative biography or multiple part biography on these different titans of industry, which basically outlined how the country turned from a a frontier country into what it would be, which is the greatest country in the world. And done so by these again, quote men who built America, everybody from Andrew Carnegie to Cornelius Vanderbilt to John D. Rockefeller and everything they did from economic policies, major events, company structuring, sailing, um just everything. They they ran oil, rail, steel, shipping, automobiles, and the finance industry for fifty years. And their legacies lived on till mm. today.
1: Excuse me. Um but yeah, we'll get into the story. So guys, typically we would have a guest on and Charlie will moderate. And we have sort of a flow walking us through our guest's story and their vision and then their strategy for how they plan on remaining at the forefront of their industry. But today, since Charlie happens to be such an interesting individual and is doing so many things we can all learn from, I'll be interviewing him. So Charlie, tell us a little bit about your history. I know you grew up in Florida and your first job happened to be where?
0: So, I grew up in Florida uh, via Scotland. So, I moved to Florida when I was 13. First job was at Long John Silver's, and that was a job as a fry cook in the kitchen. And then I progressed very, very rapidly. And within four, five, six months, I was running the front of the house and also the coveted position of drive-through manager. <laughs>
1: So you were the boss.
0: I was bossy. I was the one on the headphones talking to people pulling through the drive-thru, which was a huge source of revenue for the company, uh, as it usually is, drive-thrus. And we'll get into this even more in the show and subsequent shows, but drive-thrus are becoming even more important because uh, people are having less and less time. So they're trying to expedite their entire lives, including how quickly they can eat. So drive throughs are now once again re-emerging as a very, very valuable asset for restaurants. But I digress.
1: <laughs> no, that's so interesting. I didn't know that. Uh, so then you moved on to what?
0: So then I moved uh, on to being an assistant manager at Long John Silver's. Okay.
1: <laughs> <laughs> so you were really rising in the ranks. I think Long John Silver's is going to be very happy to hear this story. Yeah,
0: so I moved on to assistant manager and then worked there through my senior year of high school, and then left there and went to Florida State. And at Florida State, continued with my ventures into the culinary hospitality world and worked at numerous bars and restaurants throughout the Tallahassee area.
1: Okay, so then what brought you to L.A.?
0: Law school. So I came to L.A. purely for law school um, through a chain of fortuitous events, ended up at Loyola most wonderful law school in the country.
1: That you are now on the board of directors.
0: Yes, and that's not why it's the most wonderful law school <laughs> in the country. These both just happen to be circumstantial.
1: Okay, all right. But so while you were in law school, you were a bouncer, weren't you?
0: I was. I was a bouncer, and I also did executive protection for high-profile individuals.
1: Okay. And then you got into hospitality. How? Because I know there's a tie in there.
0: I got into hospitality because I decided I wanted to not travel for a little while. So I picked up and did some local security jobs and started working in a very, very popular nightclub in Los Angeles uh, named Las Palmas. Which I
1: remember Las Palmas.
0: Everybody remembers Las Palmas. So. I may
1: have been too young for Las Palmas, but I still remember it.
0: You were probably too young for Las Palmas. So <laughs> Yeah, so it was a lot of fun. And then left there about a year and a half later and then met up with the individual who would subsequently be my business partner at future bars and nightclubs and helped him um, secure and acquire his second bar, which turned into be a very, very popular bar by the name of Winston's. Uh, which you probably also remember and you were probably even old enough to get into. Uh, So that was a lot of fun. And then we left there and we went to Crown Bar, which was another very fun, popular nightclub in West Hollywood. And Crown Bar turned into Stout and then another Stout and then another Stout and then Morrison Brewery and Coffee Shops and lots of other fun hospitality ventures.
1: So good. So, wait, Winston's was the one on Entourage, right?
0: Winston's was the one on Entourage and TMZ and the site of numerous infamous TMZ sightings and stories. So, (laughs) yeah, it was, that was, um, there was never a dull moment at Winston's, ever.
1: Love it. So, guys, you're on with the future of law with Charles Liu and Jenna Benamy. Uh, I'd love to hear more about the evolution of your career. So, Obviously, we work together. I know a lot about you, but I think that the viewers would find it really interesting to hear how you sort of got to be this lawyer, entrepreneur, consultant, um, you know, political affiliations here. You have um, more real estate developments than, you know, a lot of people in the city. Um, what, tell us a little bit about what drove you to have such a portfolio?
0: Yeah, I think it's um I think it's just an appetite. It's an appetite to continually learn and it's an appetite to understand business as a whole and to always keep somewhat of an open mind, almost a, a child childlike curiosity. So I love seeing things and and businesses and ventures that I know nothing about. Uh unfortunately or the the problem with that is oftentimes we we dive into these businesses that we know nothing about which then you've got the learning curve and you've, you know, at twenty and twenty-three and twenty-five, it was one thing to be learning new businesses at forty and forty-two. You know, it's a little more problematic and a little more of a headache. But it I think it's very important and I think it's incumbent on in all of us to continue to look at businesses and to always keep this kind of open mind, this childlike curiosity, this Uh, desire to learn and continue to learn and continue to be able to be molded by your surroundings and your influences and you know some of my best learning and teachings and experiences come from my seven and eight year old niece and nephew right now so to sit and watch them play with apps or play with their new nintendo 3ds or play with their new xbox and watch their interaction with their friends on their apps and on their nintendo's it's really eye-opening. I mean they, they truly know what's cool and what's upcoming and what's new far better than we ever could. So and this is kind of again alluding to the men who built America and why this was so eye-opening to me was if you listen to that show, the one thing, the one parallel, the one uh, vein that ran through all of these different individuals, was not that they were you know, the smartest men in the world because they certainly were very smart individuals or not that they were the most educated and some of them were very educated and some of them, such as Carnegie, had no formal education. But what they all shared in common was they all shared the ability to project and anticipate and predict future trends and be at the forefront of those trends. And I think the only way that we can do it now is to continually expose ourselves to um, anything that will continue to keep our eyes open. So for me, it's my niece and my nephew and my other little niece and nephew and my friends and, and my employees, you know, some of my bartenders and waiters and waitresses and The people at some of our restaurants, you you watch the apps they're using and you listen to the music they're listening to and you see what they're doing in their spare time. And this is the type of uh, learning that I think it's incumbent on all of us to continue to undertake.
1: Definitely. We can learn from everyone, right? Absolutely. So let's talk a little bit about the direction you plan on taking for 2019.
0: Yeah, so 2019, I think is is again, it's going to be extraordinarily important to try to anticipate where everything is going and not anticipate. You know, none of us are, are Nostradamus or prophetic or or truly uh, can see without fault where things are going. But I think the key is going to look at again the future of the future of law. How's that, Margarita? <laughs>
1: It's so good. Why are you writing me out? I'm
0: just, <laughs> i am just stick with my Azunia Black. I'm How's
1: it over there? It's,
0: it's good. It's aged in oak barrels. How do <laughs> you beat that? Um, <laughs> I'm going
1: to steal it when he's not looking.
0: Not likely. Um, <laughs> so I think the key, though, is to look at 2019 and 2020 and and just the, the laws that are coming down and some of the businesses that are coming down that are going to require regulatory provisions. And it's all stuff that we we as a community and a, and a culture and even a world haven't even thought about. So one of my favorite ones to talk about is artificial intelligence. And we're talking about artificial intelligence and the law. And I just wrote an article with Forbes for artificial intelligence and the law. And I thought it was really interesting because while we're talking about artificial intelligence and how it will interrelate with jobs and everybody's first concern is, well, the first concern is the, the Terminator, right? So they all mm-hmm. go, Oh my gosh, it's going to be the end of the world. And then as soon as they get past the kind of Hollywood drama or the Hollywood uh, concept of the the artificial intelligence taking over the world, the next comment is it's going to take all our jobs, Mm. right? Which is is very, very relevant, and it's something that we discuss and we hear about, and we can't turn on Fox or CNN for more than 15 minutes without someone talking about a jobs report. Mm -hmm. So anytime you have someone coming out and say, well, artificial intelligence could... Uh, replace hundreds of thousands if not millions of jobs everybody gets concerned and and this is i think where you get uh, misconceptions and you get ideas that are not maybe not completely accurate so instead of sitting there and saying well artificial intelligence might replace certain jobs but it will also cause us as a community as a business world as as a world to expand and look for other jobs and other um, sources of employment and it will actually open up other sources of employment. Instead of that, we tend to get scared, um, which I think is going to be very, very important for the next one year, three years, five years, ten years, to really keep an open mind as to everything from that to autonomous driving, which is another very relevant legal um conundrum that i think we have to all think about and talk about and just who's who's liable for autonomous vehicles so when your tesla does something that is air quote negligent legal terminology negligent who's actually liable for the negligence of your tesla
1: interesting and we actually have some cool uh guests lined up for that right
0: yeah we've got great people for that and some really wonderful guests on artificial intelligence and talking about constitutionality of artificial intelligence uh, as it relates to when would an artificial intelligent being, and I use, you know, being loosely, but when would an artificial intelligent entity uh, be entitled to a constitutional protection as in a bill of rights or, or, or true rights that we would feel as humans, we're entitled to when would a machine be entitled to those rights at what point, would a normal person or an average person look at a artificial intelligent being, um, a, you know, a silicone chip being and say, yes, I believe they're experiencing emotions or, or feelings or sorrow or happiness or anything that would make it where we should feel that they should be given protections similar to ours or not, or maybe they get protections similar to animals, which is another thing we're going to be talking about because I know that's a big thing for you is animal rights. Yes, right? absolutely. So, like, that's kind of interesting. Would, would we start with artificial intelligence being given rights parallel to a dog or a cat or a cow or, you know, and then, you know, someone um, like you or someone in your, um, in your world or in your with sharing your same beliefs might come back and say, well, certain types of animals have no rights. So, you know, like what what kind of rights would artificial intelligence be entitled to legally? So we'll talk about that, and we'll talk about cannabis, and there's a really interesting um, agendized item that just came out that I spoke about two weeks ago. Did you hear it with uh, Councilman Paul Coritz?
1: Oh, on air talk with Larry Mantle? Yes. It was so good.
0: Yeah, so it's really interesting. So that was about should uh, revenue... Should hospitality venues in Los Angeles be required to have a vegan protein option? So what's your thoughts on that?
1: So it's funny. I posted it on Facebook and then one of my friends asked my opinion. And I think um, I love that it can definitely drive the message forward, you know, about veganism and just, you know, not consuming animals and being supportive of the fact that they're sentient beings and, Um, that whole drive. But um, I remember your point about how there would have to be like a special setup in each restaurant because of cross-contamination between the animal products and the vegan products and how I think someone had mentioned that um, the restaurants might start using poor quality products, vegan products just to accommodate. And, you know, with all of the meat substitutions out there, Um, A lot of people love them. They're just not for me particularly. Um, So I would wonder what would be the option? Would it be something that I would be interested in or or are they going to start to manufacture some really cheap substitution for the masses just to accommodate the public, you know? Yeah,
0: and and that's a a concern. The concern is I as a restaurateur go, okay, you're going to mandate that I have to have a vegan protein option. I'm going to get a cube of crappy soy and i'm going to cut it up and throw some soy sauce on it and say yeah here's my vegan soy option and unfortunately that does nothing so so the councilman's idea essentially was that this would um, hopefully help with uh, global warming or environmental changes or these direct these horrible things that we will deal with that are in direct relation to the, the, maybe not the consumption, but the overconsumption or the abuse of, of animals for, for food product. Uh, So then my thought process was, is there a better, more streamlined way to do it? And if not, like, how do you mandate that? How do I say, well, you've got a vegan protein option. It's not a good enough vegan protein option. And, and then did you start worrying about putting people out of business when that restauranteur comes back and says, hey, this just doesn't work with my restaurant at, at all whatsoever. It's not in keeping with what I do. So, you know, these kind of things, again, the future of law. So these are kind of where these are all related and interrelated. And, and I think we will have a really interesting forum to talk about this and cannabis. What do you think about cannabis?
1: I think that it's about time it becomes federally legal um, so that the city and state can benefit from tax dollars and the businesses can feel and truly be legitimized and function in our banking systems. I think that um, there's a market for it. I think that people will use it more responsibly if it is, you know, federally legalized and also... um, protected
0: right yeah and and even what you're saying i think i obviously i agree with it completely and you're starting to see the trend for cannabis certainly i, I believe and not to be quoted but i believe it's 30 33 states now uh and you're obviously seeing the states um aggressively pursue legalization so at which point does the federal government have to recognize that the states and state sovereignty certainly wants this for the most part and at what point does the federal government recognize that and then you can see things happening um, that would definitely indicate that the federal government is starting to pay attention. So U.S. Congress just passed uh, the House of Representatives and the Senate passed a farm bill, which includes a provision to legalize hemp throughout the country. Like These are things that are very relevant, I think, and definitely foreshadow the, the imminent legalization of cannabis on a federal level.
1: In case you're tuning in right now, you're listening to The Future of Law mm-hmm. on Dash Talk X with Charles Liu and Jenna Benamy. So jumping back in, Charlie, you are a very active attorney, entrepreneur, restaurateur, consultant there. I mean, there's so many things that you do. Um, I'd love to kind of touch on that and see what's your game plan. You know what? What? I mean, if you're doing it, I think that the young entrepreneurs and lawyers listening feel like they can do it, too. So tell us a little bit about where you see your business going.
0: Sure. So. I see my business and the legal business as a whole and even the consulting business, which you brought up again, I see it following the trends of what is needed and what is most necessary. So I think it's, it's kind of a, a business fundamental practice. You look for a problem or you look for something that needs addressed and then you figure out how to fix it. It's essentially how to build the best mousetrap. So you have a mouse infestation, sorry for the, the mouse reference, and then we sit there and we say, how do we build the best mousetrap? And then we build the best mousetrap we can, and then someone comes along and says, hey, this certainly is a mouse infestation, and I think that mouse trap was good, but I know how to improve on it and make it better. And then someone comes along after that and says, hey, that's a good one, but we can digitize it and put movement sensors and control it through your smartphone, and now I can have a smartphone-enabled app mousetrap. So, I think the key is for myself and for all entrepreneurs and all business people as a whole is to really follow the lessons of these uh, individuals who built America and say, what's going on today, what's going on tomorrow? Uh, Again, back to the autonomous vehicle, for example. I had a really interesting discussion just a couple of weeks ago with an individual about uh, real estate. And I was saying how autonomous vehicles and electric vehicles are going to have a massive impact on real estate. And I don't think at first he understood that correlation. And I said, well, electric vehicles, for example, the Teslas, they just don't break down. So now all of a sudden you've got vehicles that are not breaking down, that are not running on gas. So the next question I had for him is, What's on the corner of every single uh, – what's on every single corner in every single city throughout the entire world?
1: What's on the corner of every – I mean, are you talking about parking lots?
0: Parking lots, and we'll get to that. Gas so stations. Say, exactly. Gas, gas station. stations. There funny. we go. Gas stations. Hey. Good, good, yeah. So gas stations <laughs> are on every single corner. Well, think about it. Gas stations serve two purposes. There's You get gas. There's a purpose one. And purpose two is they have the lifts, and you see people – cars in there getting repaired right mm-hmm. so if i have a tesla i'm not pulling in for gas obviously mm-hmm. and secondarily these cars again are running forever i mean these electric motors just don't break down the same way combustible gas motors are breaking down so now all of a sudden you've got the most prime real estate in every single city and every state in the country that really doesn't serve the purpose that it used to serve so i think you're again you've got to sit and look at that and say wow so what should be on that corner well i don't know i don't know what the answer to that is for as a restaurateur or an entrepreneur or a business person i don't know if every corner should now be electrical charging stations i don't know if every corner should be flex office WeWorks, or or similar uh similar flex office um office business businesses so i I don't really know where it's going, but I think we can continue to anticipate and we continue to look at it and we can say, okay, we know combustible gas engines are not going to be the way for the future, right? Mm-hmm. I know electronic electric vehicles are. Right. So wh- what's the logical next step and next step and next step and how far can I take it down the road before I'm really just hypothecating and I'm just making up stuff that I can no longer justify and support?
1: So one of our segments called the vision covers our guests vision of what they can expect in the next three, five, 10 years in their niche. You have many niches. So what, I mean, where do you see everything going? We've talked a lot about artificial intelligence and also, I mean, the law is slow to evolve, but there has, there have been some changes. So what do you think we can expect?
0: What degree of law and legal protection do animals need? And then to go back to what we talked about 15 minutes ago, what degree of law and protection does artificial intelligence need and what degree of law can be imposed on someone, uh, just a United States citizen before it becomes too burdensome to that citizen and what what is okay to regulate, what's not okay to regu- regulate. So these are all things that I think we'll touch on and, and I think it'll be very, very interesting because again, we're... We're running at such breakneck speeds right now from a technological perspective that um i think we're going to see so many changes and we're going to see the law trying to keep up with them which is is going to also be interesting because if you look at the law as a whole a, a huge portion of it is based on you know four or five six hundred year english common law that has been um improvised and changed and adapted and evolved over the last, whatever, two, three, four hundred years. So how will all of that apply and be applied to this, this rapidly, rapidly technologically advanced changing world?
1: At one time you and I had spoken about, you know, we were sort of prepping for um, a speech you were about to give and, and the audience was like, you know, young lawyers, entrepreneurs. And one thing we had touched on is, a lot of lawyers kind of just do their thing, right? They sit behind a desk and they uh, they focus on putting out documents and writing contracts and, you know, fighting for their clients. But we've noticed this overwhelming desire for people to branch out, for lawyers to branch out to other industries and do cool things like you have been. Because not only do you practice law, but you are able to – take a business idea and really turn it into a thriving business and even franchise it. Like you've, you've been able to take clients from, you know, startups to even thriving businesses and help them grow. And I think that it's because of your business expertise, because you got out there and you tried so many different things. So we had talked about kind of advising young attorneys on not only being attorneys, right? Whatever skill set they have outside of, law, maybe they had a job before or during law school, maybe to get some experience in that area and really build on that. So then would you say that that's kind of how you developed your skill set and branched out? Sure.
0: Yeah, I would say that I love the quote necessity is a mother of invention. So I think if you put someone in a room and – Uh, They're in a very unfamiliar place and and this room is, you know, metaphorical, but they're in an unfamiliar place and they have a limited amount of tools to to get out, like the the escape rooms. Mm. People will, by necessity, figure out what they need to do to continue to live and continue to eat and continue to be successful and, I think, for the most part, uh, continue to evolve. So... Yeah, I think lawyers, um, I think the legal profession is interesting because lawyers were a traditional business that, you know, up until very recently was was a very, not necessarily a very lucrative business, but it was a very stable business where if you played the game right and you did what you were supposed to do and you worked Mm -hmm. hard, you would be comfortable. You know, you might not be massively successful, but you would always have a comfortable living, and I think that even that now is no longer set in stone. I think there's you – know, I, I gave a speech at a law school a little while ago, and a 2nd year student said to me, tell me why I didn't make a mistake coming to law school and why I should finish the next two years. Mm. And I said, you shouldn't. You should go to coding school and quit now. <laughs> so that – as much as I said it's somewhat joking, there was – an element of sincerity there. You know, he's got two more years plus a year of taking the bar and passing the bar. And, and so he's basically three years before he has any earning power whatsoever. And in the next two years, he's going to spend 200,000 bucks getting an education. Now that education is invaluable. I'm sitting here today because of that education. So go, go Loyola. So Mm -hmm. I can't not say that it's not extraordinarily valuable, but what I would say, and what I can say is that it's no longer the, the end all, complete packaged answer that it used to be and i think that people and we've got some really interesting doctors that we're going to be speaking to about some other uh, legal matters Um, and i think doctors would be the exact same conversation i think 20 years ago even 10 years ago the the medical profession guaranteed a, a lifestyle of a certain level. Mm-hmm. And I think now that's very much up in there also. So I think, again, we're seeing these these true white-collar jobs or, or professions or traditionally uh, professions that were used to measure success, i.e. lawyer or a doctor, mm-hmm. and they're no longer the benchmarks or the ways to measure success because if someone says to me I'm a coder and I create app- apps, I would immediately right now think that that person has more of a potential to be successful than the traditionally successful professions.
1: Side question. Remember how web design was like the next big thing? And then now web designers are kind of, I think, gravitating towards app design. Sure. Do you think that there will be something after? Do you think that apps are kind of here to stay and and be at the forefront?
0: No, I think there will definitely be something after. And I I had a really interesting meeting with a a kid who we represent uh, on an entertainment side. And he's an animator. And he's incredible. And we'll we'll actually have him come in and talk. Mm. He's just an incredible young guy. And we were talking about mediums and future mediums of, of entertainment, and and he was talking about stuff I've never even heard of. You know, I was saying, well, what else is there outside of, uh, animation and digital and and you know what I can sit and watch on my phone? And he just launched into this explanation of all of these different ways that he, as a young, artistic animator, storyteller, scriptwriter how he's going to continue to tell his stories and and again he was talking about stuff i i can't even repeat right now because i didn't really understand it and i sat and wrote it in my phone so i could go do some research and try to kind of expand my breadth of knowledge but no i think you know websites as you, you put it so well websites used to be everybody who was at the kind of forefront of that was making websites and you would say oh that's so cool this person makes websites well, then wix and the other website right Square What's or
1: something it? is it squarespace
0: Square, something they came along and they showed me how to make a, a website so i sat and built a website which if i can build a website that's that's scary because mm-hmm. you know that's me sitting over a six-hour period one night in front of my computer from 12 at night till six in the morning um, watching 90 day fiance and figuring out how to write how to create a website like that's nuts so so how does that evolve like is it is there a way six months from now six years from now where apps are distilled down to a level that i could sit for six hours and create a a basic app like i don't know but even that thought process is incredible
1: absolutely uh have you seen all of those commercials for um like it's a i can't remember the uh, the name but it's for realtors but not realtors or I, it's like a, a reduced rate. And I think it's online and there's it's um, oh, is it Rocket Mortgage? Maybe I know something what you're talking about Rocket and-
0: Mortgage is the one for for the, the mortgages. Mortgage. But what you're talking about is it's like the listing. It's like the
1: purple something. Yeah,
0: it's the it's the kind of evolution of FSBO. Right, so Fisbo yes. was a for sale by owner, right. and I remember being a real estate agent and Fisbo coming out. and I remember a lot of people at that point they were running around, they were opening up Fisbo offices, and they were saying that this is the future of real estate, and that traditional real estate agents were going to be put out of business by a for sale by owner. And not only did it not work out like that, I can't even find a, a Fisbo office now. Mm. I, I don't see them anywhere. Yeah. So they had a, a couple of years, a brief period of. Where at least they were um, they were evident in certain markets, but now they're they're not and they're gone. So these some of these technologies hit and they say they hit hard and and they become the next mousetrap. And some of them mm-hmm. like Fisbo, I I haven't seen, but the one you're talking about, I do remember. I just saw it on TV a couple of days ago, so I don't know what that iteration is as opposed to the traditional um, traditional agent method or for sale by owner, or what they've improved on, or, or even Zillow. Zillow was an awesome example. I remember when Zillow came out, I would just go there to get an appraisal, right? Mm-hmm. But now, if you look up, if you pull up Zillow now, Zillow offers everything.
1: everything. Yeah,
0: which is incredible. And I know people that sold their homes on Zillow. Like mm-hmm. I have a, a business associate who just sold his home on Zillow, and he said it was the easiest process he's ever undertaken.
1: No, I totally agree, and I wonder. You had talked about jobs becoming obsolete. You know, I think that that's another industry that we're seeing people go online and kind of handle more of their own versus using traditional realtors. So, yeah, a little bit concerning, especially when we think about artificial intelligence taking over and taking our jobs. And what are we left to do at the end of the day?
0: Yeah, but I think, and that's the whole thing. I think it it just evolves. It doesn't. It means that the, you know, at a certain point. The good example I always think about is that uh, when Henry Ford first starts making the cars and, and the carriage producers are looking at it saying, this guy's crazy, mm-hmm. well, nothing's ever going to replace a carriage. Mm. And I'm sure there's a huge percentage of the population looked at what he was doing and said, that's awful. Like, that will never replace a carriage. Like, it's going to break down all the time. It has to run on on other fossil fuels or it has to run on another source it's not like a horse where i can just feed it and know that this is you know this good old horse and he or she is always going to wake up in the morning and for the next 15 years provide me with reliable service now can you imagine now sitting there thinking will horses and carriages really be replaced i mean for us it's very very easy to look back and connect the dots and say of course they were going to be replaced. They were going to be replaced for umpteen reasons, but then you wouldn't really have been able to see that. So mm-hmm. I think it's not that jobs are destroyed. I think jobs morph and evolve and they form into what's subsequently needed.
1: Great. Guys, you're tuned in with Charles Liu and Jenna Benemy on the future of law. Uh, if you haven't already, please check us out on Instagram at the Charles Lou and the Jenna Ben. And the way we're doing this, later on in the show, we'll be answering some questions. And so we'd love for you guys to follow us on Twitter at Charles underscore Liu for upcoming guests. And that way you can tweet in your questions for a chance to have them answered on the show. Um, are you joining in after this?
0: I am. I'm going to uh, Gracias Madre. Who
1: are you going with? <laughs> who are you going to dinner with
0: uh team i'm gonna go drink some black and uh have some actually you'll love this have some delicious vegan food it, yeah you're All not right. invited
1: well <laughs> <laughs> thank you i got that i actually have plans of my own thank you very much but y'all are back with the future of law with charles Liu and jenna benamy on dash talk x um Make sure to check out our website, theloofirm.com, to learn about our legal and consulting services and also learn about other ways you can tune in. We air every Tuesday at 8 p.m. Pacific Standard Time and every Sunday at 7 p.m. Pacific Standard Time. And you can catch recordings on our website at theloofirm.com on the Dash Talk Radio tab um, and also on our YouTube channel, The Future of Law. So circling back with Charlie here... What's the most common question you get from your clients, your legal clients?
0: Well, I'd say it varies a little bit depending on the specific nature of the client. But I think the the basic or the most fundamental question is how How do I get started? That's kind of how everybody, everybody has an idea. Everybody has an idea, right? You wake up every morning. You're like, I have an idea. You can't fall asleep at night because you have an idea. One of your friends says something. You say, oh, that's a great idea. So everybody has an idea. And then the next question is how do I get this started? How do I turn an idea into a profitable business? Or even how do I turn an idea into a feasible business or the structure of a business? So that would be the the fundamental question that comes to me. And then our answer, you know, varies depending on where the person is in that in that process, mm-hmm. from we need to set up a company, we need to set up an entity to maybe they already have a company, maybe they need to address their intellectual property issues or maybe they need to establish their intellectual property or maybe they already have a business and they have a uh, business that started and they need money maybe Mm -hmm. they need to raise money and they say how do I raise money and that's a that's a really really common question do I go to institutional lending do I go to friends and family do I put together a uh, presentation and a offering memorandum so these are kind of this is kind of the core questions, and, and we work with people in all of all of these. Uh, one of the, the best answers I always have or one of the first answers I always give to anybody, no matter what the question is, so let's say they want to start a water company, let's say they want to start a hemp company, let's say they want to start a cannabis delivery company, they want a restaurant, it doesn't matter. The The fundamental question that I always respond is, You need to have a clear, clear definition. You need to distill down, delineate down, and tell me who your audience is. It's truly the most fundamental question. Mm -hmm. If you can't tell me who your audience is, if you can't tell me who is buying your nail polish or who is buying your hamburger or who is buying your custom graphic. Uh, for your car or who is buying your new controller for your Xbox. Who, If you can't identify who your consumer is, then you've got a huge problem. So one of the things I've noticed that I always discuss and and refocus and refocus again and revisit with clients is tell me who your client is and give me the 20-second pitch. Give me the 20-second pitch that me being your client, your customer, your patron – hits me and I understand it and I want to go back to your restaurant, brewery, distillery, clothing store, gym, cannabis dispensary store, car company, whatever that is, 20 like twenty seconds, Jay, go.
1: Mm-hmm. So I've seen you connect clients with literally everything that they need from a realtor to someone in the city to financing to – um, I don't know, you name it. How did you get to develop all of these relationships and, and maintain them? I think that that's a real challenge for people, and everyone kind of wonders, how does Charlie do it?
0: Right. Um, I think there's a, couple, there's a couple reasons for that. I think the first one is anytime you spend any real significant time in a certain ge- geography, you will, by definition, you'll meet a lot of people, right? So I've now been here for 20 years, so... There's lots of people who have been here longer, but I've been here long enough now to have seen trends, emerging trends, and I've seen the city change, and I've met a lot of people. So then I think subsequent and and in furtherance of that, you also have to have a a good rapport or a good record with people, Mm -hmm. and that's not to say, look, anytime people do business, you're going to have... Uh, altercations you're going to have arguments their businesses aren't going to work which is going to result in lawsuits so everybody gets sued it's part of doing business Um, but I think there's a way to conduct yourself while you're doing business that lets other people feel comfortable and understand that whether things are good or bad this is someone that I want to be in business with everybody is is very very easy to do business with when that business is successful. Mm -hmm. So when we're all sitting around and we're all counting money and we're all talking about where we're going on vacation with all of our money, everybody's really happy. The second you can't pay payroll or you can't pay your sales tax or you can't pay rent and someone's got to make that call to the landlord or someone's got to make that call to the manager and say, Hey, you've got to hold off on, on payroll or, Whatever that ugly call is, that's when you start to see true characteristics of individuals. So I think it's just incumbent on all of us if we're going to take that responsibility, if we're going to take that mantle of I'm doing business, it's incumbent on, incumbent on all of us to um, act in a responsible manner in a way with other people the same way we'd like to be treated. So I think that goes a long way in maintaining these relationships another thing that i always joke about with people was running nightclubs and bars for 10 plus years really truly exposed you to such a breadth of the population so mm. you would meet everybody from you know the mayors and city councilmen to um the the busboys and the people who were cleaning the bar at the end of the night so you truly in one night could could span this very 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 broad uh population and it'd be very very hard say sitting in a law firm to see that numeric of people Mm -hmm. that numeric that dense numeric population of people but even more importantly i would never ever be exposed to that variety of people another thing that's really interesting is everybody else is moving and evolving so the people that you might have started with 20 years ago who were bartenders or barbacks or or like me they were fry cooks 20 Mm -hmm. years later you know they've evolved into something sometimes considerably more than where they started so I think it's about maintaining relationships and uh, being decent to people and then I think also just about listening to people and understanding that we are all going through similar if if not identical problems similar problems so we're all dealing with same economic issues, maybe on different scales, but same want or needs. Um, we're all dealing with the same relationship and interpersonal issues, whether it's with your husband or your wife, your boyfriend, your girlfriend. We're all dealing with um, superiors in our companies that we don't like, or inferiors in our company who we don't like, or employees rather than inferiors, but people within our companies that we like or we don't like so we're constantly just balancing everything and I think again to just have some empathy and some sympathy and to kind of look forward and understand that everybody's evolving and going to be in different places that's what's enabled me to sit 20 years later and say hey I know someone here I know someone here I know someone here because these were all relationships that I started 20 years ago and as I grew he or she also grew
1: I got to say, I don't think I've ever seen you be rude to a single person in the time we've known each other. And I know you're laughing at me right now, but that's
0: a Zunia talking for sure.
1: (laughs) No, you um, there's something just very humble about you. And I think that that's why you have this network of people that are just so for Charles Liu. Um, you know, we go to eat and you look everyone in the eye when you're placing your order and you give the utmost respect to every single individual and you tip generously because you know what it feels like to be in that position. And I think it's also that consistency that people see. It's not only how you treat the people in front of you, but it's the people that are with you observing how you treat others. Maybe that that's, I don't know, I'm still trying to figure it out, but you know, it's really, it's really nice. I don't think you've ever said that. No, I don't. I haven't. But I think I,
0: there's a really good quote, I'll massacre it, but it's something to the effect of they people won't remember what you said or how you said it, but they'll always remember how you made them feel. So I mm. definitely always think about that because I've thought for myself, there's hundreds of instances of interactions and conversations and uh even the most simplistic, just greetings with someone where I could never remember what it was that was said, but I would certainly remember that when I left that interaction, how I felt. So if I could leave someone feeling very good as opposed to leave someone feeling negative, that's a pretty simple decision.
1: I love that. Guys, you're tuned in with the future of law on Dash Talk X uh, here with Charles Liu and Jenna Benamy. We actually, so this would be the time where we would open it up to questions that we've collected throughout the week, uh, posted on Twitter and via email. But um, there's someone that contacted me that um, actually is one of our new clients and they had a really good question for Charlie. So there's these two lawyers actually that are getting ready to start their own restaurant and they wanted to know, what do what do we really need to be thinking about? I mean, where do we get started? Is it money? Is it the lease? Like, what is the very first step? And how do we get this going?
0: Right? Got it. Okay. So, you know, it's kind of funny, actually, we just kind of brushed on that 10 minutes ago. But the real answer to that is, again, um, the, the true identification and distillation of your customer. So Someone could come to me and say, I've got this great idea. I'm going to do a live music venue in downtown L.A. And I would say, that's wonderful. And they'd say, and I'm going to serve uh, grab-and-go, health-oriented, probiotic foods. And I'd say, that's great. I think that's a forward-thinking venue. Let's talk more about it. And they would say, and we're going to do craft cocktails with this and this and uh, uh, craft beers with an emphasis on... um, sustainable breweries, organic. And I'd say, well, wonderful. This all sounds wonderful. And, but my question would always come back, and this, again, applies to not only restaurants but every single business, you have to be able to give me – you've heard of, like, elevator pitch, right? Yeah. Okay, so you hear about it all the time in terms of, like, entertainment and scripts, what the person says, give me, uh, give me your elevator pitch and your script, right? Right. Same thing with business. So if I say to you, Jay, what is your customer – you need to be able to tell me in 15 seconds who your customer is and why they're coming to you instead of someone else.
1: Okay, so then who is your customer at Stout Burgers and Beer?
0: So Stout Burgers and Beer for me was concept that created, we took two very mundane products, a burger and a beer. We combined them in a way – where the whole is much greater than the sum of the parts. So we've created a gourmet experience for twenty-five bucks that you can share, whether it's a lunchtime, dinner time, first date, or marriage proposal. So that was, <laughs> which by the way, have
1: you said this before? This,
0: <laughs> which by the way, all of them have happened at Stout. No way. Yeah. Who yeah. has
1: proposed at Stout, and Actually, which location? Two
0: people now, uh, both at Hollywood. So there was a couple who had their first date at Stout and then they called us in Hollywood and uh. then they called and said, I want to propose to my wife at the place where we had our first date, which was Stout, which we totally oh, hooked up and made God. it super fun. So, so that's a, a, a fair example right there. Mm. So the, the fair example is now you sit there and you say, okay, I get it. I get what it is you do. You take two things that I've heard a thousand times. I've heard it every day. I can't go through my day without hearing about a hamburger. Right. Mm -hmm. But now what you're telling me is you're taking this again, very um, normal product and you're combining it with another very normal product. And you're telling me that this combination, because of your expertise and, and your gourmet chefs and your tastes and your ability to source really unique beers, you're going to combine these things and you're going to give me a product that I really couldn't get from the singular product. Mm -hmm. right so so you now go that sounds kind of interesting let me go and try it and i think you could take that example and you could take it to anything from the super successful technology companies such as apple to super successful automotive companies like tesla they're very very clear clear message Um, simon sinek does such a good job of talking about apple and why it's so successful and uh he's a Great author, by the way, and we're gonna be referencing books here all the time just because I do believe that you have to read. Mm-hmm. I mean, I think it's like incumbent on all of us to read. And I think the more we read the the better just the better we are, period. So Simon Seneca, author I love, and he makes us example over and over and over again about how Apple tells a story. Like it tells a story yes. not only about Apple, but it tells a story about you, right? And he, he gives us such a funny example that you'll never see anybody open up their, their HP or their um, Huawei, right, <laughs> and take out a wipe and wipe down the little insignia on their HP, But you'll see people sitting at a coffee shop taking out a wipey and wiping down the little luminescent apple and cleaning their apple. Mm -hmm. So so Apple tells a story not only about Apple, but it tells a story about the consumer. Like you're an Mm -hmm. Apple consumer. So they've done such an incredible job of how they told their story. And Mm -hmm. in essence, that's one of the major components, I believe, and he Mm -hmm. makes an incredible argument for it, of why they've been so successful. So the book that you should read by him is called Start With Why.
1: Oh, interesting. Yeah.
0: So we'll talk more about it. We'll talk, yeah. Yeah. So that's, and and I don't want to massacre it, but essentially here's to the the crazy people, the troublemakers, the square pegs and the round holes that we can vilify, but essentially we can't ignore. And I think that was what Mm -hmm. Apple did such an amazing job of and, and multiple companies did and and again, uh, Simon Sinek does a, a great job of talking about that, and and the whole the whole idea there is uh, most business owners and most people know what they do, right? So everybody knows what they do. So if I say, "What do you do?" you say, "Oh, we do chicken wings," right? Or we do. I
1: would never say that. <laughs>
0: <laughs> Not you, but someone who does right, chicken wings, sure. right? Or or what do you do? And you say, "Well, I do jewelry. I mm-hmm. make jewelry." And then you would say to someone, how do you do it? And a much smaller population or percentage of the population in that business will understand how they do it. So that's when you'll start hearing people say, well, I don't really know. I don't really know how I do it. I've just always done it. Or I don't really know how I make the best coffee. I just buy really high-quality coffee beans and and put it in this machine and great coffee comes out. So When you go to how, you lose a percentage of the population. And then when you go to the next level and the inner circle in in Simon's diagram is why. And that's why you do it. And very, very, very few business owners and companies and enterprises know why they do anything. Mm. So they have a broad kind of brush strokes idea of why they do it. But they don't truly have a fundamental reason, a a gut instinct, a, a guttural reaction of why they do anything they do it because it was successful they do it because that's how they were taught to do it but that's not really a a why so yeah so i think this is all stuff that a company like apple or a company like tesla you could point at and you could point at someone like elon musk who everybody uses as an example and he would tell you very very quickly why he does everything
1: right work backwards right you set the goal and then you kind of
0: a why? Just why? Like, what, like truly, why are you doing that business? Not mm-hmm. to get rich, because get rich is an effect. To get rich is something that happens if your why is done correctly. Mm-hmm. So, what what is it? What's the fundamental reason that you're doing your business? So, wh- why are you doing this and what is going to be the outcome?
1: So, I think what I've seen is you've sort of encouraged your clients to answer this question and then somehow you managed to get all of these business businesses off the ground and expanded and, you know, connected throughout your network. And, um, I love watching the evolution of your legal business into this sort of consulting firm where you're able to basically provide whatever is needed for any industry. And I think that's so cool.
0: Yeah. And, and that's a service, right? So that's a service that, As a lawyer, you want to kind of solve problems. Mm -hmm. And the natural extension of solving problems is uh, there's going to be certain problems that are outside of my area of expertise to solve. So if someone calls me and says, I need this, and I go, well, I have no idea how that works. But what I do and should and must understand Mm -hmm. is how do I get in touch with someone that can solve that problem? Right. So, and I think that's where the consulting business or this consulting platform is really, really unique and interesting, especially for us, is because none of us know everything.
1: Right.
0: So, but we all know someone who knows everything.
1: It's not what you know, it's who you know. know, Right.
0: (laughs) So, So, we all know someone in all, pretty much any respective branch. So, how do we connect said individual with? The person that can solve their problems, and then I think that's, you know, as a lawyer, where you could ultimately place yourself in a very desirable position is you may not have the answers, but you would know where to find answers. Like mm-hmm. the the Henry Ford switchboard story, right?
1: Right. Totally. Like he
0: didn't know the answers, but he certainly knew where to find them.
1: Love that, guys. You're on with the future of law on Dash Talk X with Charles Liu and Jenna Benamy. If you haven't already connected with us on Instagram, it's at the Charles Lou and the Jenna Ben. Check us out on the, at the for uh, the services that we provide and also to tune into our show. Um, our last segment here is updates, really, what we're doing. Um, We've been talking quite a bit about the stuff that Charlie has going on, but let's kind of touch on what we're focused on really in the month of January, you know, gearing up for the rest of the year. There's so many new projects that roll in, I mean, kind of every day, if not every other day. And then you're in this position where you have to decide, do you have the bandwidth to take it on? You know, so what's your focus? What do you think you're going to work on this month?
0: Our focus is always split and fractured and, yeah. and all over the place, but I think um, I think there's some some really relevant and and poignant laws and and ordinances and agendized items that are coming down, and some of them are as we've mentioned in, in cannabis. So we've got a consumption lounge that we're going to be uh, undertaking the the creation and development and building of in West Hollywood, which is crazy super interesting if you think about it right this will be one of three consumption cannabis food consumption lounges in the city of west hollywood which really if done correctly will set the trend and the climate and the market for consumption lounges across the whole country outside of states that are you know already more advanced maybe you're uh colorado and Mm -hmm. some of the oregon and some of these other states. But this is super exciting, at least from a California state perspective and, and really from a national perspective. So that's something that we're working on that I'm, I'm really excited about because it get, allows us to combine two fields that we have a, a good general breadth of knowledge, cannabis and hospitality, and look at it as the interaction between the two and how that will work. And then you get into law, you know, right back to the future of law. How yeah. does how does this all work, right? So like how how would um over serving someone work at a cannabis consumption lounge? Well, it's very, very easy at a bar. So if I give you a shot at a bar and I'm looking at you and I'm like, Wow, Jay's had way too much tequila. Why, <laughs> not that you ever me? would. Not that you ever would, but let's just suppose right. you had a couple. Couple tequila's too many. And I could sit there as an experienced bartender and say, yeah, next time she orders a drink, if she does, I'm going to turn her down. I'm going to suggest that she gets uh, right share. I'm going to make sure that she doesn't leave with her keys. Whatever those things are that I could do as a bartender to mitigate any potential liability that I might have as a bartender or an owner. Well, we're going to have to think about the exact same things from a consumption lounge perspective and the really interesting part is we don't really have a model to go off of. Like I, I can't look at someone and say he or she is way too stoned.
1: There's I, no .08 for marijuana. Yeah,
0: so think about that. Like how, how do you do that and what's your judgment? And, you know, do you do you start calling police officers and saying, I don't really know, I don't know if this person can drive, I don't even know if they can walk. You know, I don't know what they can do. So, okay. you know, from that and then just from the the – uh, purity and the testing, and and will we have to serve food that's been purity tested? You know, like mm-hmm. so for example, the dispensaries now are all very very heavily regulated, so they have to uh, print um, the the quantity of THC and it's laboratory tested. So will consumption lounges have to do the same thing, or will it be um, a an evolution where they'll be able to say, well, in the beginning you just can do it this way, but Um, every six months this is going to be changed and everything that you serve is going to have to have a um, recipe that has been approved by someone, the the municipality, the city, the state, whoever that happens to be. So I think that's something we're going to be working on. I love it because, again, that, for example, is at the intersection of of two businesses that we have a a broad familiarity with. Mm -hmm. But, I mean, think about, again, the legal implications of that.
1: Totally. Super interesting. And that'll be on our cannabis show. Exactly. Can't wait for that so we'll one. We'll be talking
0: about it. Yeah. So we'll be working on the, that, which is, is here. And um, and then I think there's, you know, there's some other there's some other businesses that are are imminent. our brewery, which we're expanding, which is also very interesting because then we're dealing with. Tied House laws and some laws that were, you know, I'll give you a, another quick example. It's super interesting to me because these were laws that were put in place 100 years ago or 150 or 200 years ago or whatever the specific time was. And the reason for these laws might have been because the factory owner owned the tavern and owned all of the businesses and they wanted to protect the employee from getting his paycheck on Friday, leaving and spending half of his money at the tavern, and then going mm. to the brewery and spending all of his money. So the same guy owned everything and just took your paycheck back from you at the end of the month. So, yeah. you know, it's it's interesting. It so, is, yeah. Yes. So this is all stuff we're dealing with and city, state, municipal ordinances that are that are coming up fast and furious at relating to all of these things. So yeah, it's going to be a busy month and three months in 2019. Yeah.
1: Guys, thanks for listening to The Future of Law on Dash Talk X with Charles Lou and Jenna Benemy. We're on every Tuesday at 8 p.m. Pacific Standard Time. And if you missed us, we re-air on Sundays at 7 p.m. Pacific Standard Time. You can also tune in via theloufirm.com and click the Dash Talk Radio tab to listen now or see other ways to tune in. Stay in touch with us on Instagram at thecharleslou and the Jenna Ben, and add charles underscore lou on Twitter for upcoming guests and tweeting your questions for a chance to have them answered on the show. And for all the listeners, thank you for tuning in. We'll see you next time.
0: Thanks, everyone.